This show promotes peace and love, which ironically makes a lot of people very angry. Welcome to the Urbanism Speakeasy, the podcast focused on human-scale design, planning, design, and engineering issues that impact all of us, discussed in plain English. No degrees or silver spoon pedigree required. Now, here's your host, Andy Baino. I had a chance to talk with Robert Wright, a blogger based in New York City, and he posts under the name The Invisible Visible Man. And I thought the best way to introduce him would be to read to you a portion of his bio that he wrote on his blog. So here goes. These are Robert's words. I'm a hefty six foot five Scott living in New York City where I moved in 2012 from London. Yet I have a nearly infallible method of making myself invisible. I put on an eye catching helmet, pull on a high visibility jacket, reflective wristbands and trouser straps, get a light a blue touring bicycle, and head off down the road. I'm suddenly so hard to see that two drivers have knocked me off because they said they didn't see me. This blog is an effort to explain to some of the impatient motorists stuck behind me, puzzled friends and colleagues, and perhaps most of all myself, why being a cyclist has become almost as important a part of my identity as far more important things. My role as a husband, father, Christian, and journalist It seeks to do so by applying the principles of moral philosophy, which I studied for a year at university, and other intellectual disciplines, to how I behave on my bike and how everyone uses roads. So with that, let's jump into the conversation with Robert Wright. Let me get you started on the blog. I I mentioned to you that I love the idea of the premise of the invisible, visible man, sad and funny at the same time. You mentioned in your blog biography that bicycling has become a part of your identity, something that you probably many years ago would not have assumed that, that this would become a part of you like it has part of your personal fabric. But could you just describe the the thought behind setting up this blog um, and your personal background? You're not a you're not a street designer. You're not you weren't uh, raised to be a bicycle advocate. So where did this blog come from? Probably the thing to do is take you back to where I where I was personally when I started writing the blog. Um, I wrote for nine years in London for the Financial Times about transportation issues, um, an awful lot of the time about uh, the UK's rail system, but also to some extent about road traffic and and, and that kind of thing. Um, and at the same time, I was I was cycling to and from work. I was cycling to and from meetings, and I found myself as I was as I was riding around the city, composing in my head these little essays, uh, using a mixture of things that that I had going on in my head. I had my knowledge about transport policy. Um, I had my knowledge about moral philosophy, which I'd studied at university, and, and I had just what I could see going on in front of me, and he started forming in my mind little essays. I, I don't know, probably, I, I sort of assume that nearly every cyclist does this. I, I don't know if you do that, but uh, I, I found myself writing these little essays in my head, and um, in my work, I was mostly writing 450-word stories, which um, naturally in the... Uh, in the nature of a daily newspaper, they were they were generally fairly limited, and I wasn't really getting to 
sore when I when I wrote them. So I I, I found myself in in my head writing these things, and then eventually I just started um, putting them out on the internet um, because that seemed that that seemed the natural and um, creative thing to do with them. Um, as for the title, I wrestled for a long time with what I was going to call this, and you, you can't see this because you're only hearing my voice, but I'm, I'm a fairly substantial character, I'm about six foot five, and I am what they would call in Scotland, where I come from, big boned, I'm not slightly built. Um, and, and the irony is, um, every morning as I was getting ready to go on my bike, I would very carefully put on my high visibility vest, I'd put on a helmet, uh, I'd sometimes even put on reflective wristbands, um, my trouser clips are reflective, and the funny thing was this was the one way that somebody my size could become invisible, because suddenly cars wouldn't be able to see me, even though I was wearing this, these high visibility clothes, so that, that eventually ended up being the title, the, the idea is that this is the one way that somebody my size can become invisible is to put on high visibility clothes and get on a bicycle, um, but it is worthwhile pointing out that there is one way that I can become highly visible to somebody, and that is to take the lane in front of them on my bike and uh, and slow them down for milliseconds, because then suddenly I become hyper-visible, and it's as if I'm a large elephant blocking their path, and they'll lean on their horn and, and shout abuse at me. So I'm, I'm invisible except when I'm suddenly holding somebody up for, for milliseconds. That's the idea behind, behind the blog, and um, I, I suppose what the blog is meant to what I'm trying to express in the blog is that I want people to think rationally about how people get about by bicycle, how they get about in the streets, how, how they use the streets. An awful lot of the thinking that you see out there is people really thinking with their gut, not really using the intellectual tools we have at our disposal to think about these things. And really my idea was to try to express um, to bring some kind of rationality to bear in these things, but also to face up to the fact that actually so many of us are, are not rational. There's an awful lot of irrationality about us. There's an awful lot of irrational thinking about cars. And, and also I said that I myself am irrational. Um, I love being on a bicycle more, that, more than probably is, is rational. I think it's a rational thing to ride a bicycle, but I love it more than is, is rational. And every now and again, I write a blog post where I try to express the irrational joy of being on a bicycle set in the small hours of the morning when you see strange things that you that you don't expect uh, so, so that's that's really the idea behind the behind the blog it's meant to be um, it's meant to bring some rationality to the irrational issue of street use well you and I share an interesting challenge when it comes to riding I mean you mentioned the one way to become super visible is to jump out and take the lane but you and I both have other riders that are sometimes with us our kids who might not be the big bone six foot five character that you described um, you and I know you've written about this you've written about uh, the joys of taking your kids riding with you but then also something you were wrote recently that I thought was really interesting was showing show your kids seeing whether you intended it or not the hypocrisies of the adult world you want to talk a bit about how you ride with your kids, maybe your, your recent Chinatown exploration? That, that is a good point. Um, one of the things I love about taking my kids on a bicycle with me, I, I don't know if you find this, is that when you start riding with your children, you typically do, do it when they're, uh, I don't know, probably 
six, seven, eight kind of age. And the great thing about that age is your kids have got to the point where they're, they're, they're no longer, they're not, you know, incapable of doing basic things the way that they are when they're very young, but they're not quite got to that sourness of adolescence. So you, you're still in that, you're in that sweet spot when as a, as a parent, you're still a hero. Um, and I love the fact that uh, we pass on the skill of cycling at, at that sweet spot when you know, you know there's a real feeling of family togetherness. And, and I wrote once in, in the past, quite a long time ago, one of the first posts I wrote in the blog was about how my father taught me to ride a bicycle and, and his father taught him before him. And, and I love the idea that um, I'm passing on things that you know, come from come from generations back, and and I think it, it cycling often runs in families. My father didn't ride particularly often uh, later in life, but I know that I have a lot of the same mannerisms that he had when I, when I'm on a bike, and I, I have a sense that I probably look a bit similar the way that I get down my drop handlebars the way that the way that he did. But yeah, I wrote about a trip that we took. Um, across town, we, went, um, we live in Brooklyn, uh, I suppose inevitably, uh, and we went across the Manhattan Bridge into Chinatown and then, and then across town to a playground. And it, yeah, it's, it's one of those things we say that we want our children to learn what we regard as a good habit of cycling, that we want them to... Um, have a low impact on the environment. We want them to learn to be safe in the roads, but yet you notice that people are terribly, and you get the, these two contrasting reactions. Half the people sort of smile indulgently at you and say, isn't that beautiful to see a family like that? My, my son rides in a little trailer bike that screws on to the luggage rack at the back of my bike. People think that's very interesting. They're you know, smile at that. Um, so you get the, that kind of indulgent reaction, and then you get motorists who are just um, very angry with you and, and think you're holding them up and will honk at you and drive really aggressively around you. And I find that I find it interesting that people actually behave in a rather transgressive way towards children on bicycles in the city. And I, I find that depressing and alarming. Um, and I suppose going back to the basic point of my blog is meant to be about philosophy and more the moral philosophy of how we get about, um, I ask myself the question, um, I'm making a choice about how I get about on a bicycle. Uh, children don't have that same agency and yet I'm, I'm getting them to go out there in the traffic and I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to answer for myself the, the rights and wrongs of why I get them to do that when they, when they have less choice about it. I, I think it's an interesting moral question. Well, along the lines of being out in the road uh, with other people, whether it's other kids on bikes or other adults on bikes, but also vehicles, you've got some strong opinions about share the road campaigns or similar campaigns. And that, that's the idea for, for people that might not know is you, you see these signs at the side of the road that maybe they're intended for drivers, maybe they're intended for bicyclists, but they, they have a message that says bicyclists are going to be around this area or on these streets. So expect to see a bicycle or maybe it's supposed to be for bicyclists saying expect to see cars on your tail but you you had a quote in a in a blog post that i loved you said it's self-evidently bizarre to argue that the solution to drivers killing people is to ask everyone to be nice you want to explain that a bit well it's it, it strikes me uh, 
really the point that I started from with this is, obviously I used to live in London until two years ago, I now live in New York, so the blog sometimes looks at uh, developments on both sides of the Atlantic, and Transport for London, the Transport Body for London, has long had an enthusiasm for these share the road campaigns, telling everybody to be nice to each other on the road. Um, now, I understand partly where that's coming from. Uh, I used to ride every day in London. I used to ride about 4,000 miles a year there. And, and there's quite a lot of aggravation in the streets. They're congested. People people get angry. And there are more cyclists in the streets there in, uh, than there are in New York. And, you know, people people get pretty angry with the cyclists. But there's something very strange. And people run these campaigns. You see quite a lot of them in the U.S. You see them in the U.K., saying everybody share the road, everybody be nice to each other, and then we'll all get along fine. And um, really, what I, the reason I was looking at this is, as I said before, I seek to bring rationality to how we look at the roads. And when you think about this thing ration, rationally, it's, it's nuts. It's completely mad because... Um, there is only one group that is killing substantial numbers of people in the roads. It's cars, and that's not. And people, when you say that, people think that's a radical thing to say, or, uh, you know, a, a nasty thing to say, or that one's getting a motorist. But it's not actually. I mean, it, it's not any of those things. It's a simple fact. When you look at um, the number of people that die in collisions that don't involve a motor vehicle, is absolutely minuscule every year. When you look at research about what causes the crashes between motor vehicles and pedestrians and cyclists, uh, the vast bulk of them are the fault of, of motorists. And yet there's this strange idea that we can try to improve road safety by saying everybody be nice to each other, everybody share the road. Well, that, that's just, that has to be the wrong approach. And what really worries me about it as an approach is that it, dissipates the responsibility and the responsibility is not on everybody. The responsibility is on motorists not to kill people. The responsibility is on motorists to pay better attention on the streets, to be prepared for the fact that other people might behave in ways that you don't expect and, and to drive accordingly. And it, it just strikes me that as long as we take this approach of saying you have to share the road and everybody has to be nice, motorists are going to be thinking that it's less their responsibility than it actually is. And I, I don't know about you, but I've certainly had motorists shout at me when they were trying to pull out into my path, share the road, because they've seen these campaigns and they think it's my job somehow to be nicer to them and not to insist on my right to use the road um, and, and to let them barge in and cut me off and, and endanger me. So I, it just strikes me, it's, it's one of those things that the moment you start unpacking it, it strikes me that it falls apart and I can't believe, I can't believe they're so popular and I think it's just prime evidence of this kind of irrationality about thinking about roads, this kind of magical thinking that people go in for as soon as we start thinking about cars and pedestrians and bicyclists that, it, you know, it needs to be demolished and, and that's really what I've sought to do. Well, transport professionals don't usually think of themselves as marketers, but I mean, like you're describing here with this campaign, that that's a lot of the job of a planner or an engineer. It's about messaging. Um, so they are, in fact, in, in a lot of ways, marketers. And they often, they, I'm part of this industry, often 
mishandle messaging about creating, designing, planning safer streets. Do you have some suggestions for rational ways to communicate about who belongs in the streets and how to keep people in the streets safer? I mean, you, I'm using your words. You, you like to think what's a rational way to get the human brain around these topics? Well, it just strikes me that as long as you are trying to tackle, as long as you're trying to use, as long as you're using this false equivalence, saying it's everybody's responsibility, I can't see that you're going to do anything other than fail. Um, so I think you need to think about how you tackle the behaviour that's actually causing the problem. And it strikes me that the behaviour that's causing the problem is that people are driving too fast, that people are driving while distracted, um, that people are um, not yielding when they're meant to. And, and it just strikes me that you need to find some creative way of tackling those behaviours. I mean, well, one thing I should probably have said earlier is that I think a lot of the confusion about these share the road campaigns comes from comes from um, people's failure to distinguish between two things. Um, people, uh, people on bicycles can be rude and unpleasant and difficult, just as every other human being can be. And people on bicycles are not especially virtuous. And it is clear to me that people get upset because, you know, they, they find bicyclists, bicycle numbers are growing and, and, and people get upset with these cyclists being rude and whatever. And the cyclists weren't there before and, and, and that gets everybody upset. So, but it strikes me that that's a completely separate problem. The problem of politeness and everybody being nice and considerate from the actual safety problem. Um, you know, because a cyclist, no matter how inconsiderate, is extremely unlikely to kill somebody else. And you just need to, it strikes me, you need to separate these two issues. You need to think about safety on one hand and be nice and polite on the other. The politeness problem thing is definitely something to address, but I would say that's a second order problem next to making sure that people don't get killed. So I guess my message to transport professionals would be try to think separately about these two things. And the reason I think people often don't think separately about these two things is that um, if you're, you know, your local politician, your local ward councillor or you know, alderman or whatever you you call it where you are, is going to get complaints about cyclists. People are going to say, oh, the cyclists are terrible, they're dangerous, they're offline, nearly got hit the other day. Uh, and all these kinds of things that we know people say. But the point is, you need, uh, as I said before, you need to be rational about it. You need to say to them, well, when did, when did cyclists last kill somebody here? When was the last time somebody was seriously injured by a cyclist? And when was the last time somebody was actually killed by a motor vehicle? And why was somebody killed by a motor vehicle? And we just need to get down to actually thinking about rationally and seriously about what the statistics say about things and how we can make things safer. And by all means, once you've got things safer, once you've got hardly anybody dying, let's work in politeness. But my contention would be, once we've got the roads designed and uh, the policing managed and all these other things done in such a way that people are not killing each other, I would say that politeness will probably substantially improve as well. Robert Wright, thank you so much for your time. I'm glad that I discovered your blog. I can't wait to see uh, all the future posts. Is, is there a, is that the place the is that the best place for people to reach you if they want to uh, find out more of your opinions, what you're saying about streets? Is it uh, is it the blog? Yes. Yeah, well, the blog. If you look at the bottom of the blog, my email address is there, and I suppose the one 
plug I would make is that uh, I started this blog really in the hope that one day it would become a book, and I keep um, I keep writing more blog posts and I keep not turning it into a book. So if there's somebody out there who's a, who's a publisher or a, an agent that wants to take on um, a blog that I think is a little bit different from some of the others, there are an awful lot of blogs out there that are full of very detailed things about traffic designer, things about cycle racing. This really seeks to link cycling issues to wider public policy issues and so on. If there's somebody out there that wants to turn it into a book, um, I would, uh, I'd love to hear from you. And my email address is down there at the bottom of the page, which is invisibleman.blogspot.com. Um, you should be able to find it quite easily um, using Google, and, and I'd love to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please visit urbanismspeakeasy.com to sign up for news and podcast updates delivered right into your inbox, totally free. <laughs>